son-in-law Jeremiah Clausen our hearts are overflowing with joy the Lord performed a miracle the surgeon rushed him back into surgery because they saw something very wrong in the tests after his initial surgery they spent a considerable time looking but could find nothing he said it was very unnerving to the surgical team he said they weren't sure if they fixed if it had fixed itself or if the tests were wrong our daughter Emily told them that many people have been praying. Amen. So we give them thanks to the Lord for that. Sister Lisa, rejoicing with you for sure. Amen. Our God is still faithful. Our God is on time every time. If you call upon the name of the Lord. Amen. In your trouble, he will be found. God bless you, each and every one that's gathered with us in the visible audience this evening and those that are connected by way of technology and internet, no matter what room you're in, no matter where you find yourself this evening, the Lord Jesus himself is present there with you. We're happy to have you connected with us in the service tonight. Our brother Ernie Villanueva will be coming in just a few minutes and taking the service and ministering to us how we appreciate the gift of God in brother Ernie's life and certainly look forward to hearing and minister the word to us. How many have a need upon your heart tonight? We just want to uplift your hand to the Lord and say, Jesus I'm standing here with my little flag raised and Lord, I might be small and I might be on this earth full of billions of people, but Lord, see my need. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we're gathered in this little chapel up here on the side of a mountain, 
in the Pacific Northwest in a state called Washington where there's restrictions and guidelines and adherences. But Lord, we're, we're adhering to your word tonight that says gather so much more together even as you see that day approaching. So Lord, with our little flags up in the air, we're standing in the back maybe. But Lord, we're asking that you, the great one, would see us. Lord, we if just one glimpse from you, Lord, upon our situation, just cast your eye in our direction, Lord, and let us know that everything is going to be fine. Lord, it would do us so good to have you just pass through this little chapel tonight. Lord, vindicate your word one more time. We're not doubting, but Lord, it sure would be nice to see your presence manifested here among us. Lord, in Cloverdale, Lord, would you just pass by their way, no matter where each person is sitting, be it at their home or in their vehicle, Lord, in a little room somewhere, just drawing upon the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, minister to them, we pray. Lord, not forgetting even the least of your little ones this evening, would you minister, Lord, to each and every one that is gathered, those that are connected out over the airwaves, those that will hear this service in coming days. Lord, may it be a special time. May we be able to look back and say that we drove down a stake in this service, that you met us one more time. Lord, we love you. Lord, every need that's been brought, you hear the heart more than you hear our words. Lord, may we be sincere in our desires that they would be in line with your word, that we might have that which we ask. We give you all the praise and the honor and the glory that's due your wonderful name. So we commit this service to you, the ministering of your word. Take Brother Ernie, Lord, a willing vessel, sat in your presence. May we be benefited tonight, we pray in Jesus Christ's name. I love you, Lord. I lift my voice. So we invite Brother Ernie to come this evening. I love you, Lord. And I
heads for a moment of prayer. Father, we're so thankful to be gathered tonight around your word with great anticipation and expectation for supernatural visitation, Lord. We know there are many varied needs here in divine presence. Lord, you know every one of them. And we pray tonight that you would come as the, the high priest of our confession in whatever need has been confessed. We believe that all the redemptive blessings of the resurrection would be available to each one of your sons and daughters. I pray that you would bless the word. Let it be rich and real to each one in divine presence and those that are connected to us through the internet around the world. We ask these blessings with great confidence, for we ask it in your precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. It's wonderful to to be here tonight in the presence of God. And I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles. I would like to go right into the Word so that I can share what God has laid upon my heart. I don't want to keep you too long, but I do want to be able to deliver this thought. In the book of Zacharias, in the fourth chapter. And when a believer reads their Bible... We're reading things, we read, as Brother Branham said many times, we read between the lines. And the message, it is spoken in a language that it takes the token to understand it. Without the token, if somebody from a theologian seminary or a Bible school, if they would come and sit in our presence, they would think that we're out of our minds. They would not be able to understand the things that, that we take so for granted. Many things that are ABCs to us. Like a real believer is a walking, talking, supernatural encyclopedia walking down the road knowing that they've got the token in their heart. So in Zacharias chapter 4 verse 1. And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep. And said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, the candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof, and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl and the other upon the left side thereof. I want you to keep that in mind, those those two olive trees. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone whereof, with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. 
Just remember, there was a double portion of grace that was prophesied and we need it in this day that we're living in. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts had sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small beginnings? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven that are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro the whole earth. Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches, which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Amen. God bless you and you can have your seats. And we can read a a portion out of Zacharias and there is so much there for us. And especially the end of that because that's something that's prophesied for the future. Those two olive trees. And we know that that's referring to Revelation 11. When the two prophets are going to come. And going to speak to Israel. And uh, for all we know they may be on the scene right now. They may be over in Israel right now. Getting ready and get prepared for the work that they have to do. And uh, you know it, it could be a supernatural incarnation. We're we're not sure, but we know that they're going to be there, and we know that 144,000 Jews are going to be able to receive what they have to preach, and what they have to preach to those Jews is going to be exactly the same message that we're hearing right now, because there's only one Messiah. Only one Savior. And the same Savior that we have received, that's the same Savior that they're going to receive. Many of them, they're, they're, they're talking about Messiah. Messiah's coming. Messiah's coming. And, and they're right. Messiah one day will come and be revealed to them. But many of them, they have, you know, literally laughed at Isaiah 53. Or Isaiah 9, 6, when somebody witnesses to them and tries to share, this was Messiah. And, and your ancestors missed him. And your ancestors, they missed God when God came exactly the way hundreds of prophecies said he was going to come. He appeared on the earth and they rejected him and put him on a cross. I have read dozens of testimonies of Jews who have become Christians. And once they become Christians, and those two scriptures of Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 9, when when they see these, they run back and they want to share it with their family and with their friends. And they say, it's so clear. How could we miss it? How can you miss it? And many of them are rejected. And some of them are cast out. By their families. 
It's amazing when you think about that. But I know some people, uh, if you're a Jehovah Witness and you leave the faith, you are ostracized. For some people, if you're a Catholic and you leave the Catholic Church, that's it. They say, how could you leave the mother church? I know that personally. I had that said to me by my grandmother, by my mother, by my aunts. One aunt was a nun. She's 90 years old now, still living. And uh, still got the rosary beads, still clutching them. I spent some time with her. And, uh, you know, it's going to take an extreme, radical transformation of her at that age. With everything she has believed for all these years, for her ever to really see who God is. And so when you really get a revelation of this message, it is... The ultimate intoxicant. It, it leaves you, you know, actually in, in a state of awe and wonder that God could come down and reveal himself to you and bypass 99% of the rest of the world. I would say 99 point, and you could put a decimal in there too. But that's how many people around the world of seven going on seven and a half and soon to be eight million people and 99% of the people in the world do not know that God has come once again. He's come in word form to reveal himself, to claim a bride out of the most wicked, out of the darkest age that man has ever lived in. That's the age that God chose to come and reveal himself to. And so when we look at this, the first chapter in Genesis, we know the battle that went on in heaven between Michael and Lucifer, and Lucifer was cast down, and, uh, and, and God began to create, and he sat and he watched and he saw that there was an affinity between the serpent and the woman. And he went into that serpent and he came and deceived the woman. And then the woman went and spoke to her husband. And that, that's all. It, it's, it's so plain for us to see once God reveals it to you. But then we see the twins that came out of that relationship. One with the serpent and the other one with Adam. And they were twins, Cain and Abel. One of them was the seed of the serpent, and the other one was the seed of Adam. And they, they, they wrestled. They wrestled with each other. And, uh, and Cain, he, he did, he didn't like, he didn't like the things that Abel was doing. And Abel went and he, and he, and he brought the first fruits. He brought he brought a lamb and he laid the lamb on the altar and God was pleased with that. But Cain, he bought fruits and vegetables, maybe some flowers and made, made it look so nice and he was happy and he thought surely the Lord will, will, will be pleased and will accept the sacrifice. But God did not accept it. And, and, and then God came to him and he said to him, and this is, this is really striking. This is something worth taking and putting down in your script bag. God came to Cain and he says, why is your countenance falling? In other words, how come you got a bad attitude? And he says, do as your brother has done. <laughs> 
And won't you be accepted? And so God extended grace to the seed of the serpent. But there was nothing in him to respond to it. And he went and he killed his brother. And how many times have we seen people and they come and they come around the word and they spend time and it seems like they rejoice around the word. And it seems like, you know, for months or sometimes even years, they can stay with the word. And then all of a sudden, it's like a paradigm shift takes place. And a paradigm shift is a radical change of thought that's been brought about by a very unusual situation or a keen insight into a matter. And when somebody turns and walks away from the message, you can watch the path that they go on. And it's not, it's not a very pretty picture. It's not a pleasant picture at all. And so, After that, we can look at the grace of God that was extended to Noah and his family. And God spoke to Noah and he told him to go and build an ark. And he said it was going to rain. Now, another little thought that we would not know if we had not been identified with this message. It had never rained one drop. Up until that time, not one drop of rain, and yet Noah preached and began to build that ark. And he built the ark for 120 years. And maybe some people, they spent 10 years on the ark, some 20, some maybe 50, some maybe 100. And it got old. The message got old. How long? You know, and, and we've talked to everybody, there's, there's no such thing as rain. And they were intelligent people, sophisticated people. They had nuclear power, atomic energy back then. They said they could shoot the heavens and there's no such thing as water up in the heavens. So for 120 years that went on. And then God closed the door of the ark. It wasn't Noah that went there and said, okay, I'm pulling the door. No, everybody was in that was going to get in. And it was Noah and his wife and his children. And they waited and waited and waited for the rain to come. And it took a while, but finally the rain came. And maybe there were some healthy people, strong people. Maybe they could swim and maybe they could tread water. And maybe some of them lasted for five hours or maybe ten hours. Some of them maybe, you know, they lasted for a day. But finally, everything, everything died. The grace of God came and he said, really, could would God do that? Would God wipe out the whole world and yet only eight people and two of each of the animals to keep the species alive? And where did all those animals live? Where did the food come from that had to feed all those animals? So many questions that we could ask on each of those subjects, but... We know that God did it. 
And then we, we, we look at Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham, uh, he was, you know, I hate to say, I don't want to, you know, disparage him, but he was a heathen. He was a pagan before God came. And God came and revealed himself to him and told him that, that he was going to have a child. And, and Sarah laughed at the very idea that, that they were going to have a child. And then they would change back to a young man and a, a young woman. Supernatural, they went from an old man and an old woman. And even one time they, they were going through a, a city and, and, uh, you know, Abimelech was the king and his men were always on the lookout for beautiful women for the king's harem. And so they came and they asked Abraham, who is this woman? And Abraham said, uh, it's my sister. Oh, really? You're a blessed man because you're going to become the son-in-law of the king because he's going to marry that girl. And then the king's up in the palace and he's getting ready. Maybe he's doing rub-a-dub-dub, one king in the tub, and he's getting ready to get married. And all of a sudden God comes to him and tells him, you are as good as a dead man. He said, Lord, what did I do? He said, you're getting ready to marry another man's wife. He said, Lord, you know the integrity of my heart. That man told me it was his sister. And God said, I know what that man told you. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and get that man that lied to you and come and ask him to pray for you and I'll forgive you. Talk about a a, a paradox. And sometimes God does things in such an unusual way. But he makes everything to work out according to his will and to his plan. And so Abraham and Sarah, they had that child. And think about how happy Abraham was until one day God told him, I want you to take that son, Isaac, thine only son. You know, I want to just drop in a thought. You know, the Jews... They believe Abraham is their father. The Christians believe Abraham is their father. And the Muslims believe that Abraham was their father. Three faiths, all calling the same father. And, and many people believe that, that Abraham was the son or, the, or Abraham's son was Ishmael. And the truth is that Abraham did not have a son called Ishmael. Ishmael was Abram's son. But when Abraham had his name changed from Abram to Abraham, then he could have the promised child. He could have Isaac. And so grace was extended to him. And then we see Jacob and Esau, the twins, and we saw what they went through and how they wrestled and, and, and all the great things that took place in their life. And one day, Jacob, and, uh, you know, if, if you read history, you read what a prophet of God said. He said, Abraham, he was a shyster. He was a con man. He'd pick your pocket if he could. And one day, he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. 
and he wrestled all night long. And finally, he asked him, he said, he said, who are you? He said, why do you ask who I am? And, and finally, after the wrestling match, the angel of the Lord touched him on his thigh. And he was changed from Jacob to Israel. That was the first name of Israel. And from that time on, the angel touched him here on his thigh. And from that moment on, he walked. He walked with a limp everywhere that he went. And the people said, you see that guy there? You see that guy limping along? He said, that's Israel. He said, he had an experience with the angel of the Lord. And that's why he walks with a limp. And you know, when we, when we get touched by the angel of this message, we walk different. And not only do we walk different, we talk different, we live different, we think different. Everything is different in our life because grace, the unmerited favor of God has been revealed to us. And what I'm speaking about is grace. The supernatural nature of God. You know, God is never more like God than when he's forgiving. And man is never more like God than when he's forgiven. Or man is never as much or as like God when he's forgiven. And when you have that touch of God, you know, anger, anger is not a part of your nature anymore. Gossip, criticism, pessimism, cynicism, skepticism, all those attributes go. And we are endued with an opportunity, the only supernatural opportunity to have perfect love imparted to us. And when it's imparted to us, then we can give it out to others. Think about how simple our life would be if we truly worked and walked in perfect love every day of our life. I know I've said it before, but when I wake up in the morning, I know there's got to be two deaths. I got to die and the devil's got to die. First thing in the morning, just take the yapping dog and bind him first thing and tell him before he ever opens his mouth. Before the first bark goes off, tell him you're done. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, he hates to hear the name of Jesus. He hates to see somebody worship. He hates to see praise. He hates to see all the attributes that a Christian manifests on a daily basis. Because he knows that he does not have that person bound and chained like he has the rest of the world. The rest of the world, they're they're infatuated with all the stars of the world. Whether it's TV or movie or sports or business stars or politicals. I never thought politics would be, you know, as popular and as famous as politics is in, in the world today. You know, one time when I was, I was going to Bible school back in North Carolina and I walked into a print shop and I come to the counter and I looked up there and the man had a great big banner on, on the wall. And uh, he had the word politics spelled out. He had P-O-L-I hyphen T-I-C-S. 
And underneath it, it said, poly means many. Ticks means parasites. So politics equals many parasites. I hope the mayor and the governor's not listening. Now we go to Moses. You think about, about the life that, that, that Moses lived. Spared from, from Pharaoh's edict that all children should be killed. And his mother and father preserved him and they took him and they built a little ark. And they took that little ark and they put it on the Nile River and they sent their little baby down the river. And Moses' sister, she went behind the ark. And God just took that ark and he floated that ark right into Pharaoh's palace. And there Pharaoh's daughter is there with all of her maidens. And they see the baby just coming in there. And they pick up the baby. And they said, oh, it's one of the Hebrew children. Did you ever read that? It wasn't a mystery to them. It's one of the Hebrew children. Now Moses' daughter should have said, well, we got to take him and have one of the guys kill him. She said, no, I'm going to keep him. And raised him up. And Pharaoh, he had a, a, a glorious life. He had the best education in, in, in military, in science, everything you can imagine. Moses became the best of the best. He had a life that, that we cannot even imagine what it was like. Anything that he wanted. But his mother was always there saying, now remember Moses, you've got a divine call on your life. He said, yeah, Ma, I know it. And I'm studying, I'm studying warfare. I'm studying strategy. And when the time is right, you know, I'll be ready. And one day he's looking out there and he sees one of the Egyptians. And that Egyptian is abusing one of the children of Israel. And he goes out there and he gets out of his call and he gets in the flesh and he kills him. And he hides the body. And he goes back he says, nobody saw me. I'm okay. And then the next day he saw two Hebrew children. And they're arguing with each other. And Moses come down. Now he's going to be the peacemaker. He said, brothers, why are you arguing like that? And they said, what are you going to do, Moses? You're going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian yesterday? And that was it. Gone. From the palace of Pharaoh. With everything in your life handed to you to be in a fugitive 40 years on the backside of the desert taking care of dirty stinking sheep and he gets a wife that just nags and nags and nags and nags and nags at him and Moses was pretty convinced that God was done with him and one day He saw the burning bush and God spoke to him. And the rest of it we know is history. How he sent Moses down to Pharaoh. Even though Moses didn't want to go. He had excusitis. I I can't talk right. You know and I'm a fugitive. And there's still a warrant out for me. I can't go down there. And God said that you can't talk real. Well okay I'll, I'll just get your brother. 
I'll get your brother over there and he can be your mouthpiece. So his brother goes down there and, and basically they tore Egypt up with all the plagues. And the last plague we know being death. And finally the children of Israel went out. A few million. And it was a mixed multitude that went out. Not all believers. Many of them were a mixed multitude because they had seen what God was doing in the children of Israel. And so they went along with them. But out of those two million adults that went out. And I know if you didn't have a prophet of God tell you out of those two million adults that went out, only two of them were saved. Joshua and Caleb. And they told when they come to Jesus and they told him about their fathers who had gone out with Moses and Jesus said, and they're everyone dead. And Brother Branham said, that's eternally separated from God. Wow. You want to talk about an explosion. It's like, uh, you know, I, I love to say it's a supernatural multiplication of inspiration and revelation for communication with God. And when you have that confidence that it was thus saith the Lord that was being spoken to you. And, and, and uh, you know, Brother Branham... He was like a prophet scope. You know, you have a periscope for a submarine wants to find out what's going on above the water. Well, God gave us a prophet scope and that prophet scope. He was able to look back and he could tell us what has been. He was able to look and tell us what is and he was able to tell us what's going to be. And we're walking, we're living in that time that a prophet of God had warned us about. So many things that he spoke back in the 50s and back in the 60s about the germs and about the diseases and all these things. And there's no medicine for it. Scientists, they, they, there's not going to be anything they can do about it. And here we are in the middle of a pandemic you imagine back in March when finally they said, well, you know, we got to kind of close things down. And I had been traveling for two months. I was in North and South Carolina, Georgia and Florida. And I called up Brother John. I said, well, Brother John, I'm flying back and I'm flying into Vancouver. He said, Brother Ernie, he said, you better change. You better change your flight because I think they're going to close that border tomorrow. And so I changed my flight, flew into Seattle. And sure enough, they closed the border the next day and it's been shut tight ever since then the only believer that i know of that's been able to go from the u.s to canada is brother john and if anybody can find a way brother brother john he'll find a way there's only one brother john andes and god broke the mold when he made him He's always ready to go the nth degree of the extra mile all the time, every time. And God bless you, Brother John. We really love you. And so now we go, we go from Moses and we talk about David. And David was the little, the little runt, the little shrimp. And uh, he got anointed to be king and uh, went to Saul and was able to to play the instrument and Saul had demons that were afflicting him and David could come and he could soothe him and finally Saul saw that the anointing was on David and he tried to kill him 
tried to assassinate him over and over. And David could have taken Saul out any time that he wanted to, but he was not going to touch God's anointed. And finally, Saul, he, he he's at the end, uh, yet the end of his life, and he wants to know what's going to happen. He's got a great battle in front of him. And so he goes to the witch of Endor. And it was Saul was the one. He's the one made the proclamation. If anybody engages with a witch, it's the death penalty. And here's Saul, the very one who made that law. Here he is. He goes and he disguised himself and he goes into the witch and, and, and he says, I want you to divine for me. She said, no, I can't do that. He said, don't worry. I'll protect you. And then she sees it's Saul and he says, go ahead, divine for me. I'll take, I'll, I'll protect you. And up comes Samuel. And Samuel says, why have you called me from my rest? Seeing you have become the enemy of God. Think about that. You have become the enemy of God. And Saul said, the spirit of the Lord has left me. And I need to know about the battle tomorrow. And Samuel says, you and your sons will fall in battle. And tomorrow you will be with me. You want to talk about amazing grace? That's one of the greatest examples of amazing grace that you'll ever see. And of course, we go on further and David becomes king. And he has a, he, he, he has uh, an occasion. He sees Bathsheba and she's bathing. And he says, I've got to have that woman. And he goes against everything that's good and true and holy. And he brings her in and she becomes pregnant with his child. And so he says, who's her husband? Well, that's Uriah. He's out, he's out on the front lines there. Well, go and get him and bring him to me. And so here comes Uriah. Yes, my king. Yes, my king. What is it, my king? And he said, I want you to go home and just uh, relax, spend some time with your wife. I would never do that. As long as my king is in battle, I would never take time for that. And so he goes back to the front lines and David has him killed. David, not only does he commit adultery, but then he commits murder on top of that. And then the prophet of God comes in and said, David, and he lays out the scene, lays out the whole scenario. He said, David, what would you do in this case? He that man will die. And he said, David, thou art the man. And quickly, David repented. And the child was born and the child dies. And David, he, he was before the Lord just interceding all the time while the child lies between life and death. And finally, when it was all over, he clothed himself, cleaned himself, and he went on. And so we can look at even a king, even a man after God's own heart needed the grace of God in his life. I don't know about you, but I need that grace every day. 
prophet of God said, every day we do enough wrong for God to kill us. We make mistakes even in our thoughts, our attitude, thoughts of omission, commission. But the grace of God is there. That bleeding word that Jesus came and he died for the sins of man. You know, a while ago there was a movie that came out and, and somebody sent me a DVD and it was, it was about Christ and it was about his passion and, and what he went through. And it had been a, a big, a big hit in the movie theater and I think they saw hundreds of millions of dollars and there were church groups and they had some theaters that were sold out weeks in advance. And whole churches, they had bought out every showing of the movie. And they had people, invite your friends, invite your neighbors, invite everybody. We bought out the whole movie theater. Bring them in. Let them see this. And we'll evangelize by using this movie. And I saw that movie. It was a very, very difficult movie to watch, friends. And I don't know how they did it. Only Hollywood could make something so graphic. And I'm sure that even that film did not fully capture what the Lord went through on his crucifixion and how they beat him and whipped him and spit on him and punched him and kicked him and ridiculed him and laughed at him and sarcasm. But that's what it was going to take for the grace of God to cover all the sins of the And all the saints that were going to come in the future. We could tell the story of Jonah, of Rahab. We could tell the story of many Old Testament saints. And they needed the grace of God. And they did not have the covering or the protection or the confidence or the ability to see that bleeding lamb. All they had was once a year the high priest would go in to the Holy of Holies. And when he walked in, think about the drama. Everybody's waiting and the high priest goes in there and he's got the bells and the bells. Everything has got to ring just properly as he walks. And when he goes in, if the Lord accepts the sacrifice, he comes out and the people can rejoice because all the sins from last year were forgiven. But they didn't have a nature change. And so many of them went out and did the same thing the next year. And the next year they were back there waiting for the high priest to go in again and see if their sins from last year could be forgiven. But we have that bleeding word that is available to us seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year available to us. And to to me, the less, the less that I need to go in and confess and repent, the better it is. I don't know about you, but that's the way I feel. When I, when I was just in Pentecost, every once in a while, I wanted to have what I call a perfect day. Just a perfect day. And I would make it so I had plenty of food in the house so I didn't have to go out. And I would unplug the phone. There was no internet back then. This was back in uh, like like 1978. 
unplug the phone. Nobody could call me. And I had Christian music playing. And, and, and I would have the radio on. And Chuck Swindoll would be playing. And all the preachers that were on the radio. And I did not have any contact with any human being for the whole day. Just all by myself. Just me and the Lord. And I felt that was a perfect day. Well, now... <laughs> We can have, we can have perfection every day. We can look, we can look to that bleeding lamb and say, Father, I'm sorry for anything that I've done wrong. Please forgive me. You know what God has saved us from? You know, the world, they're, they're real, they're, they're real fond of, of horror movies and, and they have movies about monsters. Do you know that you and I have been saved from a monster? I want to read what Brother Branham said to you. Well, anyways, it's in the church age book, and he's talking about that little winsome group that got started, and it seemed like it was so nice, and it became the monster of Satan. He was talking about denominationalism and what denominationalism was going to turn into, and you and I have been saved from that, and so now we've just you know gone and just did a real a light brush on the Old Testament saints. But as we go into the New Testament, we could talk about the woman at the well had five husbands and the one she was with was not her husband. We could talk about the woman that was taken in the very act of adultery and the Pharisees come and they dragged her and put her in front of Jesus and say, the word says she dies. What do you say? And he just started drawing in the sand. And uh, nobody knows exactly what he wrote, but I think maybe he wrote Simon, liar. Reuben, And I think maybe he started writing all their sins in the sand. And one by one, they took their rocks and they dropped their rocks and they kind of scuttled away. And they were all gone. And he said, where are your accusers? She said, there are none. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And so that was the nature of God. We can look at how... Zacchaeus was up in the tree. His wife was a believer. And Zacchaeus was, uh, he was a good full gospel businessman. And he had heard all the things about the message of that day. And he was just a little short fella. 
And so he went out ahead of the, where, where he knew the, 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 the congregation was going to walk through. And he got up in the tree because he wanted to get a good look at what was going on. And Jesus walked there and he stopped right at the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, come on down from here. I got to have fellowship with you tonight. He said, Lord, if I've done anything wrong, I'll, I'll, I'll reward it many times, many times over. Zacchaeus, the businessman, became a fervent believer in the word of God. No matter where we are, friends, God knows. God knows where we are. He knows what what challenges we're facing, whether it's physical challenges. You know, whenever, whenever I've been afflicted with anything, it wasn't a matter of if God was going to heal me. In my mind, it was when is God going to heal me? Not if, but when. And if somebody dies, if somebody passes, that's the ultimate healing. Because they've gone on to their reward. They've gone to a place they'd never, they'd never ever want to come back to. The prodigal son went out and spent his fortune on wine, women, and song. And then finally, when everything was gone, all of his rented friends were gone. As long as you got some, some money, as long as you're willing to spread it around there, you can have a lot of rented friends. But when the money is gone, the rented friends are gone. And then finally he winds, he winds up in a pig farm. And he's feeding pigs. And if you read the scripture, it says, and the rich young ruler would have longed, he would have feigned. In other words, he wanted to eat the food that he was feeding the pigs, but it was not lawful for him to eat the pig food. That's how low he had got to. And finally, he said, I'm going home. I'm going to ask my dad to just just put me on as a laborer. Just put me on at the bottom of the bucket. You know, as long as I got a roof over my head and food in my belly, I'll be happy. I'm not looking for anything. And he didn't know that every day since he left, his dad was out there and he was looking and he was waiting and he was watching for his son, wondering what day is my son going to come home. And when he saw his son from afar off, he ran. He ran to him and hugged him and took him home. And and he said, let's have a great feast. And he killed the fatted calf. He didn't say, well, I'm just going to check him out. I'm going to find out. I'm going to find out if he really has repented. No, he loved him. And he went out there and that love was expressed to him. And they killed the fatted calf. Now, the prodigal son, he had a brother. And that brother, he did not like what was going on. And he had a bad attitude. Kind of like what Cain had. And the father came and he said, what's wrong with you? He said, all these years I've served you. All these years I've been here. I've been on the job. I've been steady. I've been loyal. And you never, you never killed a fatted calf for me. And the father said, all this time, 
You could have had the fatted calf anytime you wanted to. But your brother, your brother that was long away, he's come home. And the father saying, can't you rejoice that your brother, your own blood, he was a long gone and he came back. You know, if we ever have somebody who leaves and they're gone, no matter how long they're gone, if they ever come back, we should roll out the red carpet and welcome that brother, welcome that sister back. Have that kind of godly love for them. Just going to be just a, a, a little bit longer. I was thinking about, I just want to, just go back for a moment and talk about Samson. And, and Samson, he had a problem. And his problem was with women. And it got him into trouble over and over and over. He, he set whole towns on fire. He had to go there. And, and, and he's just a little guy. But he had such strength. He was able to take the gates of the city. And march the gates of the city. He, he, he killed wild animals with his bare hands. But he had a problem with women. And he wound up. With a woman. And he thought that woman loved him. And he loved her. And the spies that hated Samson, they came to her. They said, Delilah, we need to know where he gets his power from. What is the mystery? What's the secret of his power? And we'll give you. And they offer her a great treasure. And she goes in and she's, she's lying with him and making love to him. And she said, Oh, Samson, you know, I love you and you're so strong. And what, what's the secret of your power? And, and he told her, he, he told her, you know, a, a little fib. And so she goes running back and tells them and they come back there and they're ready to attack him at the point that they thought was his secret and he just got up there and whipped them all and sent them sent them going and, and and she said oh samson you didn't tell me the truth you know please tell me what's the secret of your po-? and he tells her another little tale and she goes and tells the soldiers and the soldiers come running in there and he whips them sends them back again this goes on over and over and over finally she wears them out he said okay i'll tell you it's my hair a, a, a blade, a blade has never touched this hair. So she goes out and tells him and they come in there and they chop off his hair. And he said, oh, here we go again. I got to give him another beating. And he goes out there. No power. Gone. And so they take him and they put his eyes out. And they beat him. And then they take him and they put him on a grinding wheel. And he's on that grinding wheel. And he's going around and around and around. And they have a like a, a, a an arena, Colosseum. And all the Philistines that hated Samson, they're all there. And they're rejoicing. Finally, our enemy, look at him. He's grinding away. And, you know, at least we're, we're going to make a profit on him now. And here he is. He's grinding away at that wheel. And no doubt when he's grinding away, he's saying, that Bathsheba, that, that, that Delilah, 
she has, she has a, a Jezebel spirit on her. But all the while, he's grinding every day. And his hair just begins to grow just a little bit. And he starts grinding. He's grinding a little bit faster and a little bit faster. And now the Philistines, they're excited. Look, 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 our enemy, our prisoner. He's grinding faster and faster all the time. Now, if it was me and I was one of those Philistines and I knew the secret of Samson's power was his hair, he would have got shaved ball five times a day. There would not have been a piece of peach fuzz ever come on that head. But finally, he got to the point where he had his strength back. And he went to one of the guys, one of the little guys, the little guys. He said, please take me and point me to where the gates are. And his prayer was, Lord, just once more, just once more, Lord, use me, show me your power. And God used him. And in his death, he killed more Philistines in his death than he ever did in his life. The demon-possessed man that Jesus was on the boat. And uh, the demon-possessed man was crying out. And Jesus was in another country. And he heard that demon-possessed man calling out. And he got in the boat. And him and the apostles are going there. And every demon spirit in that area, they came there. And the waves came and they tried to sink that boat. And finally, when the waves are going, and these men were rough fishermen, they'd never seen anything like this before. And there's Jesus lying in the corner. And they said, Lord, don't, don't you care that we perish? And he gets up there and he stills the wind and stills the storm. And they said, whoa, we've seen the Lord do a lot of things, but we've never seen anything like that before. Even the wind and the waves obey him. And he goes over there and the demon possessed man that they couldn't do anything with. And the demons come out and, and, and the, the man's looking for help and the demons see Jesus coming and they're trying to resist him. And finally, they ask him, send us into the pigs. And Jesus granted their request. And all those demons, a thousand demons that were in that demon-possessed man, a legion, they came out and they went into the pigs. And even the pigs didn't want to live with a demon in them. So they went and they all committed suicide. Swine suicide is what it's called. Because they didn't want to live with a demon. So if a pig didn't want to live with a demon, why would any, why would a human being ever want to live with a demon in them? And then finally, two, two last people that I want to speak about. First one is Peter. Impetuous Peter. And uh, he was always quick on the draw. And, and finally, we know that, that, that Jesus is speaking to Peter and Peter's telling him how much he loves him. And, and Jesus said, before the cock crows thrice, before the cock crows, you'll deny me thrice, three times. And Peter said, I would die for you. I would never do that. And finally they came and they took, they took Jesus out of, out of the garden. And all the apostles ran. The only one that was at the cross was John. 
John was only 15 years old when Jesus called him. Only 18 years old at the cross. The only one at the cross. And Peter ran. And all the apostles are running and hiding. And the Bible shines the light on Peter. Because a a woman came and said, hey, weren't weren't you with him? No, I don't know. I've never, never seen him before. No, not me. And a second woman came, just a, a maiden. Came, said, "Yeah, you know, yeah, you, you were with him. I've seen you with it. No, no, just not me. Got to be somebody else." So that was the second time. And then the third time, a woman came and said, "Your speech betrays you. You are, you were with him." And he said, "No, not me. Denied it and cursed. Denied it and cursed." And the cock crowed. And Peter ran away. And then when Jesus rose. He told him. He says go get my apostles. And Peter too. So Peter got a special invitation. And Jonathan's coming to rescue me. Take what's upside down. And make it right. Thank you brother Jonathan. It's coming off again. Got it? Okay. Only be a few more minutes. And so Peter got a special invitation to come back. Now, can you imagine if when 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 they they heard that Jesus had rose from the dead, and Peter was the first one, he ran to the tomb with the women. And he looked in there and he was bewildered. But I can imagine Peter was thinking, even if he is alive, it's not going to do me any good because he's never going to want to see my sorry face after what I did. He told me what I was going to do and I did exactly what he told me. I'm, 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 I'm done. He'll never want to see me again. And uh, he, he received Peter and he asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Okay, go and feed my sheep. So he denied him three times. And afterwards, Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? And finally, we finish with Paul. And Paul, he came from a a well-to-do Jewish family. And he could have gone into business, been a businessman, but his heart was set on the ministry. So he goes and he studies. He has the opportunity to study at the feet of Gamaliel, the best teacher in the land. And so he finishes his study. And one day, he just happens to be at the place. And Stephen is there. And he is blasting the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and telling them, you've crucified the Son of God. And they were so enraged and they're looking for an elder, just somebody who can give them permission to stone this guy. And it just so happened that Saul is there. And Saul just nods. He said, yeah, okay, I'll take care of the coach. You go get the rocks. And they bashed Stephen and they bashed his head and bashed him with rocks. And finally, just before he passed, he said, I see the Lord standing, not sitting at the right hand of God. Now he's standing. And I believe maybe he just saw that as one of the first martyrs to give his life. And he saw him standing to receive, to receive him. 
And so then the Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin Council, kind of like our Supreme Court here, they heard about Saul. They heard about this guy. And he was schooled under Gamaliel. He's one of the best of the best. And they called him, said, Saul, we need a guy like you. We got a big problem here. We need an exterminator. We need somebody who can come and wipe out all these vermin, all these ones calling themselves Christians. We want you to do whatever it takes, but just get rid of them. We'll fund you. We'll give you everything you need. We'll give you the equipment, the money. Just do it. Now, you can imagine Saul. He said, well... I knew all that praying, all that studying. I knew it was going to pay off someday. And now here, the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court, they've called me and they've commissioned me, given me a, a, a great job. And now I'm going to do a great favor for my people and for the nation. And he went out there and he went and beat him. And whipped them and threw them into prison. No doubt, you know, we don't even know the carnage that he caused for the early Christian church. Freshly minted, truly born again, Holy Ghost believers. And this man is doing all this damage to them. And one day he's on the road to Damascus and God knocks him off his horse. And he said, Saul, Saul. It's hard to kick against the pricks. And Saul said, who art thou, Lord? The prophet of God, Brother Branham, said that a man like Saul would have never called anything Lord unless he knew it was God. And so Saul knew that was God speaking to him. And he he was knocked off his horse and he was blinded. And they they had to lead him and they led him into a little room. And no doubt somebody with Saul's knowledge of the scripture, I'm sure maybe God began to walk around in his brain. Like he was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities, and all the types and all the shadows of who Messiah was going to be and everything. It just began to click and Saul saw it like a neon strobe light. But he was saying, he said, I'm done. Here, I, I am in big Trouble. I am in more trouble than anybody in the world. I find myself fighting against the very God that I thought I was serving. And God goes and taps Ananias on the show. Said, Ananias, I got a job for you. I want you to go. I want you to go and I want you to pray for Saul. And Ananias said, Lord, I've heard about that guy. He's a dangerous man. And God said, don't worry, he's praying. You know, when Ananias goes and he he, he goes and he, he meets Saul, the first thing he says was, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. And he leads him away and they baptize him. And he goes out and he tries to share the good news. But it was ineffective. And so he had to go away and he studied. Went to And he studied for about three years. And finally when the time was right, he got tapped on the shoulder. And he went out and he became the greatest missionary the world's ever seen. And what that man endured. He was beaten with, with the whip. Five times he got 39 lashes. Three times he was 
was beaten with rods. One time they stoned him and left him for dead. And after they were gone, God raised him up and he brushed himself off. He said, okay, where's the next meeting? And he just headed on to the next meeting. And he went through all these things. And he didn't have a a car. He didn't have an airplane. He walked everywhere that he went. And he had to depend upon the believers for his food and for shelter. And a lot of his ministry he spent in a prison, a rat-infested prison. In a lot of the Bible that you and I count so precious, it was written while, while, while Saul, who became Paul, he was in that prison cell. And and then Saul says, I'm not worthy to, 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 to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Then he said, this one thing I do, forgetting all those things that are past, I press forward to the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ. And then finally, Paul has the audacity to say, This light affliction. Uh, uh, Paul, your light affliction worketh for me a far greater reward in glory. The grace of God, friends. Can you imagine what a a paradigm shift Paul had to have to write 1 Corinthians 13? From the man that he once was to write the chapter on love. God, transforming power. All true believers have experienced it. And it's an ongoing process. You know, in Standing in the Gap, Brother Branham tells a story about this this man. His name was John. He had a rough life, but he got saved. and, and, and And he met a girl. And he fell in love with this girl. And uh, so later on, she said, now, John, you know, you, you have in the former life that you had, it must be rough for you sometime with all the thoughts and all the memories. And he says, yeah, it, 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 it does get hard. And she says, well, John, I want you to know if you ever slip, if you ever fall, if you ever backslide, don't stay away. Because I love you. I married you knowing who you were. I married you knowing all about you. And you come back and you find the same lady that loves you waiting for you. Let's stand to our feet. And then Brother Branham said, now you take the love that Mary had for John. That's a great love that Mary had for John. I think everybody will agree. So he said, you take the love. That Mary had for John. And multiply that by billions. And you have a small taste that the love of God has for you and for me. Let's bow our heads. Father, how thankful we are to to know what you have revealed to us and see the things, see the past and all the, the prophecies that have come to pass and yet looking at all the prophecies that have been given that have yet to be fulfilled. And we wait, we wait upon you 
knowing that each day on this earth may be our last day on this earth. And we're looking for that great catching away. We're looking to be able to see you face to face. To be able to go to that great wedding supper in the sky. To be eternally young. And to have perfect faith and perfect love. No more trials. No more challenges. Lord, this is, this is your supernatural love story that you wrote before the foundation of the world. And here we are, 6,000 years down the road. And you've chosen your bride. Everything is ready. The only thing that's left is for the bride to fully realize who she is. And when the last one comes in, we'll be called away. And each day your bride around the world is doing all she can, looking and searching and reaching out and doing all we can to alert those that are still on the earth, those who may be your bride that need to get in line, or maybe it's those that will hear the message and they'll, they'll walk as foolish virgins and give their life for their faith. You know all things, Father, and we have a great confidence in your love. I want to ask you just in closing... Don't want to keep you, don't want to linger, but if you're here tonight, you say, I need a fresh revelation, a true internal revelation of the grace of God. We need an up-to-date revelation of justification and the sea of God's forgetfulness. If you would like to say, that, that's where I want to be. I want to know that my sins, everything is gone and in the sea of forgetfulness. And from this day hence, I can walk knowing that I'm a clean creature. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. And you say, that's how I want to walk out of this building tonight. Knowing that I'm not a patched up job, but I'm a complete brand new unit. If that would be your prayer, you just want to lift up your hand and just take it right down. So just just God and you will know. My eyes are closed. I'm not looking. And I don't think anybody else needs to look. But let's pray. Those of you that have lifted your hand, I trust that you will go home tonight and just be thankful. Say, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me a brand new start. Thank you for giving me a new heart. Thank you for that transforming power that is fresh and evident in my life. And let it be evident to everybody I come in contact with from this day forward. We ask this in your precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Before we go, I, I'd like to sing. I haven't heard it for a while, but 
I'd like to have you sing, set your wings. Do you know that, Brother Derek? You've got that one. Derek's got a much better voice than I, so I'm going to let him sing it. God bless you. So good to see you. You know, the other day I was saying, there's a lot of people I haven't seen before, so I just went back in the archives and started looking at different services just so I could see everybody's face again. And I saw a lot of your faces sitting in the seats. I said, I can't wait to see them in person. So God bless you. Brother Derek. Set your wings to the winds of faith. You can fly in a higher place. Do not struggle.
scriptures and extended grace in so many circumstances under so many situations lord certainly no one is outside of your care this evening we commit the evening to you each one we ask for safe traveling mercies as we go upon the roads return to our homes may you bring us back together lord at the appointed time we pray in jesus christ's name amen god bless you as you're dismissed this evening